But I'm so glad you're here today. We are finishing up our series, Amazing Grace. Uh, we're talking today about what it means to be sustained by grace. Have you ever thought about that, what it means to be sustained by grace? You know what the word sustained means? I, I want to give you a little illustration here. Um, how many of you have ever seen a keyboard or a piano and, and seen the little pedals on the bottom? There's something called a sustain pedal down there. How many of you knew what that was called? Some of you? Wow, a small fraction. And that's completely fine because most of us look at a piano or a keyboard and we see the black and white keys on the top. That's, that's what gets all the attention. Those are the actual notes, right, that get played in a certain order and they make up the songs that we know and love. Um, but there's this little thing called a sustain pedal and it actually brings those notes that we play to life. Without the sustain pedal, it probably wouldn't sound exactly like you're used to hearing it. And to kind of give us an example of this, I've asked Pastor Gage to hang out a minute, and he, he's going to play a song, just a little, a little ditty of one, uh, without the sustain pedal. You'll probably catch on in a minute, but this is what this song sounds like without the sustain pedal. Take it away. When you know what it is, just raise your hand. Believe it. You know what I mean? All right, sing it again. Say, don't stop. Sorry, go ahead. All right. So we all know what the song is, right? How, how can you not know what that is? Um, so that was without the sustain pedal. Sound a little bit choppy, you know what I mean? Um, now I want you to do it with the sustain pedal. So he's going to use this little pedal on the bottom that most of you today said, I don't know what the heck that is. He's actually going to use it. I want you to listen to what it sounds like. Go ahead. Kind of tune in. See how the notes are kind of more broad? They're kind of holding out. They're sustaining. Get it? Really makes you want to sing along, right? Oh, man. No, stop. Believe. Okay, we need to stop or else I'm going to start dancing, and we don't want to see that. So there's this little thing called a sustain pedal, and without it, it makes the song feel like it's just dead. Everybody give Pastor Gage a hand, by the way. I'm always amazed at how many different things he can play, so I just decided to test him today, and he, he nailed it, and it knocked it out of the park. But there's this sustain pedal at the bottom. Most of the time, we, we don't even realize that it's there, and it actually brings the songs to life, the songs that you know and love, um, and it's, would you agree that the sustain pedal is important? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very important. Otherwise, it would sound completely different. And the, the grace of God works in our lives kind of like that in a way. It keeps us going whenever we can't go on. It, it, sometimes we don't even know it's there, much like we didn't realize that the sustain pedal was there. The, the grace of God works in our lives. Sometimes it's, it's the driving force behind why we can face so much of this thing called life and know that we're still standing here when it's all said and done. You ever look back and go, how did I get through that? It's this sustaining grace that works in and through our lives. So we're talking today about what it means as we wrap up our series to be sustained by grace. There's this beautiful passage in the Bible. It's uh, from the Song of Songs. Maybe you've heard of the book. Um, it's actually a pretty sensual book um, when you start looking at it and reading it and kind of getting the context. Uh, it'll make you blush. It's kind of it's written by these two lovers that are just confessing their undying love to each other. And we're all thinking the same thing. What is that doing in the Bible, right? You're thinking it. I'm thinking it. It's, it's interesting. So it's this picture. Listen, it's the picture of what our relationship with God is supposed to be. 
It's, it's this dynamic where you have these, this, these two people that are in undying love for each other, and it's a picture of, of Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church. And all throughout the scriptures, we see this comparison of what marriage is supposed to be and, and what the relationship with Jesus and the church is supposed to be. And some people get kind of freaked out when you start making that parallel because it's like, how can, how can my relationship with Christ kind of be intimate on the same level that a marriage is supposed to be? And we just don't really want to talk about it. But if you think about it, marriage was designed to be a holy thing, a pure thing. It was designed to be a very, a very faithful thing. And it's the way God sees his relationship with us. Ultimately, he was so faithful and so giving of himself that he died for us. He gave his all for us. And in the same way, a marriage is supposed to be the same, same thing. So he uses this, inv- uh, this invention of marriage that he invented uh, as an illustration of how we relate to him in, in faithfulness, in intimacy, and ultimately in a covenant. And in the Song of Songs, this book, uh, I'm just going to read a little bit here. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what the woman is saying to, to her man. Get this. She says this, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. Man, if that don't get you going, I don't know what it will. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. I am faint <laughs> with love. Now, I'm just willing to bet you've probably never said that to your husband. And if you have, please don't tell anybody that. That's just something that you probably just want to keep to yourself. We, we really don't use this kind of poetic language anymore. So modern-day language of that verse would be something like, you know, there's my fine man jumping over the ottoman in his boxer shorts. <laughs> Some, something like that. <laughs> I'm being slightly facetious here. But it's, it's this picture of intimacy. And in verse 6, I love the picture that's painted here. In in chapter 2, verse 6, this is what she says. She says that his left hand is under my head, and with his right hand, he embraces me. Left hand is under my head, and with his right hand, he embraces me. And we just kind of get the picture of this man holding his woman with his left hand under the back of her head, holding her up, and as his right hand comes in, he's just caressing her face. And, and, and we, we kind of focus on this. It's the right hand that we focus on. It's the part that feels good. It's the gentle touch. It's the, the intimate, you know, stroking of the face. It's, it's, it's this embracing touch. And, and the serotonin high of feeling uh, him caressing her face, maybe completely unaware, it, it's the left hand that's actually holding her up. And if we can kind of look through this through the lens of our relationship with God, we love to feel the right hand of God. It's, it's, it's the blessings that we can see and feel. It's the joy and the peace that we have in our lives. It's the presence that we feel. Maybe just like we sang a minute ago, we were singing these awesome worship songs, these intimate worship songs with God, and we just felt him all around. Did you? It's the right hand of God that's just kind of caressing our face, but it's the left hand of God sometimes that we don't even know is there that's holding us up in the trials and tribulations of life. But we love to feel the right hand of God. We love to feel his presence and all the promises, and we love to to feel it and see it in, in, in a fleshly sense in this world. We love it. But what happens when we don't feel any of that? Well, you gotta know God's sustaining grace, that left hand of God is still holding us up. It's the picture of God's sustaining grace. I want you to think back over your life, and I want you just to think about all the events 
that brought you from, from there until now, all the, the trials and the hardships, what, what was it that got you through? How is it that you're still able to be here today and, and function? What, what was that? Well, it, it was the power to keep going whenever you didn't want to keep going. It was, it was the power to do the right thing when you didn't feel like doing the right thing. It was the power to get through successfully, even when there was nothing there that you felt like was going to get you through. No matter what happened, there was still something there that, that brought you through. In, in the Bible, one of uh, Jesus' disciples' name was Peter. He's writing a letter after the fact to a church, and this church is actually suffering for their faith. They're being persecuted. They're not feeling all the good feelings of being in relationship with Jesus. And this is what he says to them in 1 Peter 5.12. He says, My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of the grace of God for you. Now, why would he say that? It's like I'm suffering for my faith. People were dying in this in this part of the country, but he's saying that in the midst of all that, God's grace is holding you up. And you need to be very aware that even in the midst of your trials, even in the midst of whenever you don't feel like he's there, he's saying that's when God's grace is sustaining you. And then he says this in the last sentence. He says, so stand firm. Stand firm in his grace. His grace holds you up even when you can't feel it. Even when you're hurting, facing trials in life, God's grace is sustaining you. Now, some of us had no clue that that sustain pedal was even a part of the piano, even a part of the, the keyboard. You didn't know it was important, but it was there, and we found out just how important it was to the song, right? I mean, literally, every song that's ever been written probably started on a piano or notes just like this where there was some type of sustaining that went on and we had no clue how important that aspect was to this particular song or to all songs. And if you've ever sat down to play the piano and didn't know it was there, you wouldn't use it. Because why? We don't use things in life that we don't know are there. And so the grace of God, we, we need to know that it's there. We, when we don't feel it, when we don't see it, when we have no clue what's going to happen next, we have got to understand that God's grace is with me and reach out to it or else we'll never use it if we don't know it's there. So I want to talk today about what God's grace does in our lives so that when we're facing, uh, we're going to look at this three ways, when we're facing temptation, when we're facing being tired and weary in life, and when we're facing trouble. Because it's in, in those moments of life that we have the, 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 the propensity, if you will, to look at God and say, you're just not with me. And we, we choose other options. So we got to know God's grace is there and we have to reach out to it. So first thing, when, uh, when we're tempted, God's grace comes in. It helps me keep standing when I'm tempted. That's the first thing God's grace does. We got to know it. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for some victim to devour. So take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. When we're tempted, God's grace comes through and helps us keep standing. And you need to know, the moment you give your life to Christ, a battle begins spiritually. You want to know why? Because Satan hates your guts. That's just a blunt, bold way to say it. He hates your guts, and he wants you to fail. And he will bring temptation in your life like you've never faced it before for the sole purpose of getting you to look away from God's grace and look at this, this temporal fix, humanly, that's going to make you feel good for a few minutes, no matter what that may be, and then eventually leave you empty. So every day of your life, you're going to face 
decisions, do the right thing, the wrong thing, do the good thing, to do the bad thing, to do the selfish thing or the unselfish thing, and, and the thoughts to do the selfish thing, the thoughts to do the, the wrong things, though, that's temptation in your life. And God says that when we face temptation, we can look to his grace, and it'll sustain us, and we'll be able to stand. Quick little note about temptation. Did you know you never outgrow being tempted? Now, people that have been in here, Christian, a long time, you may say, well, it's less likely for me to get tempted than it probably is for some of these other people that are sitting in it. Let me tell you something. The temptation may change, but you're never going to outgrow being tempted. And the minute we think that we, we are, or the minute we think that'll never happen to us, that's the exact minute that Satan comes in and moves and just tries to destroy your life. Because when it starts being about your ability, it quits being about God's ability. And that's the minute he comes in. Look, you're no match for Satan. You, you absolutely no match. You're not equipped with what it takes to be able to stand up to him. We need God's grace. The temptation may change throughout the season, but you will never outgrow being tempted. I know somebody who, uh, they never had a problem with their um, telling you how, what they thought. And in their anger, they would tell you exactly what they thought. That mouth would just run a million miles a minute. And when this person finally got saved, their life changed. It was amazing. But they, they look at today and say, when I got saved, my mouth was the last thing to know it. I mean, it was just, I'm still tempted. I gave my life to Christ, but I, I still get tempted to, to say things that I don't typically want to say. But I, I want to, uh, like you know, and there's strongholds in my life. You know, that, that uh, I used to have and maybe don't have those same anymore, but I've got other things in my life that I get tempted with, and they're absolutely none of your business, but I, I have them in my life. And I'd be willing to bet 110% that every single person in this room has something or some things in our life that we struggle with currently. You want to know why? Because you never outgrow being tempted. But God says that when you're tempted, he said, my grace will my grace will sustain you. Did you know that Jesus was tempted? Because some of us get freaked out and we say, well, how could I ever think such an awful thought like that? Or how could I ever think about doing that? There must be something wrong with me. And sometimes we think things that are so bad and we have to jolt ourselves out of it that we think, to be sure, that thought was a sin, <laughs> you know? Uh, but the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every single way that we are, yet he didn't sin. And so if Jesus was tempted and he didn't sin, then that means sin, uh, it's not a sin to be tempted. So temptation is not a sin. You can't control every thought that comes into your mind, but you can control which ones you allow to linger. Temptation is not a sin, but God will give us the grace so that we don't give in to it. Um, you know, and sometimes it's, it's tough. It's tough whenever uh, we're, we're trying to do um, the right things in life. It's, it's tough. It's tough that... Um, it's tough when, we, when, when, we're, when we're tempted and maybe sometimes we're, we're tempted with things that we were tempted with long ago. We never thought those temptations would come back. Do you know that just as much as you were, uh, had the grace to overcome them then, you have that same grace now? I know some, some people give in to temptation and they, they, they rationalize. It's, it's real easy to make mistakes when we begin to talk about temptation. We begin to rationalize things and we say, well, you know, it's okay because my set of circumstances was real unique. My circumstances were unique, so it's okay for me to give in. You know, my, my wife left, or I had this really bad issue, and, you know, so it's okay that I gave in that one time and got wasted at the bar. To be sure God will forgive me, or to be sure, you know, you can't hold that against me. I was weak because of my, my circumstances. Another mistake that we could, we could make when we rationalize is I couldn't help it. <laughs> it was too strong for me, baby. It came in like a wrecking ball. You know what I mean? 
And, and we will. We're like, you know what? I give up. <laughs> I started out good, and then whoopsie daisy, I'm just going to fall down right here. I'm no match for that. And we start to make this rationalization, but we always have to go back to the truth. What is the truth? Well, if you're going to talk about truth, you have to go back to what the Bible says. It's the supreme truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 talks about temptation. It says this, the, the temptation that you have are the same ones that all people have. Let that sink in a minute. But you can trust God. He will not let you be tempted more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, God will also give you a way to escape. Then you'll be able to stand it. I want you to think about what, what he just said. He said that the temptations you have are the same ones that all people have. In other words, they're not unique only unto you. He's saying there is no unique set of circumstances that allow us to rationalize giving in to temptation. And we love to rationalize why it's okay. But when we rationalize, we're basically taking what Satan is using as a lie, latching onto it, and force-feeding it to ourselves. We'll justify anything, but we'll justify a lie. We're basically feeding ourselves lies whenever we rationalize. And God says this. He also says, I'll give you a way to escape. In anything you get tempted with, there will be a way to escape. Larry King interviewed Billy Graham on his 80th birthday, and he said this. He said, you're 80 years old, Billy, and you've been in the limelight for all these years. He said, and you've never had a scandal. How have you been able to maintain that level of integrity? And you know what Billy Graham said? He actually quoted this verse. He, he, he opened up the Bible. I don't know if it was a physical Bible or just the word that he had in his, in his heart, but he said, the temptations that I have are, are common to all people. I'm, just, I'm not any different. He said, I can trust God. I, he won't let me be tempted any more than I can bear. And when I am tempted, he will give me a way out so that I'll be able to stand. Guys, we have to understand, these, these aren't just words in some book. These, this is a promise from God himself. It's powerful and it's wonderful. And if we latch onto it, then we will feel and understand what it is to be sustained by grace. Maybe you don't feel it right then, but... At the end of the day, when it's, it's said and done, you'll be able to look back and say, I was sustained by God. And maybe you say, well, I was tempted and I prayed, but I still did it. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened. Listen, God's grace says I'll, I'll provide a way of escape for you. Now you have to take the way of escape. The way of escape may not be popular. The way of escape may not be fun. It may not even feel good. It may just go against everything you're feeling. He says, I will provide a way of escape, but you actually have to take it. And, and it, it requires everything in us sometimes to do it. But God comes, he comes through 110% of the time. The question is, is will we latch onto that grace? Will we know that it's there? And will we choose to be sustained by it? God's grace helps me when I'm tempted. Second thing God's grace does in our lives is it keeps me standing when I'm tired. Would we agree to this? Life is exhausting. I mean, I just heard them you know, over the whole entire room. Some of us came in tired. I'm like, man, life, life's just hard. It's exhausting. It's, it takes all this strength and all this energy. And we, we, sometimes we feel like we're, we're committed to God, but being committed to do the right thing is sometimes more difficult than it is just to lay down and, and give up, just to kind of coast and just drift. But do you know what the problem with drifting is? Is when you drift, you always go backwards every time. It takes an intentional effort to go forward. I mean, you never wake up one day and just stretch and go, I feel 10 steps closer to God today. You know, I just, I don't know how it happened, but I'm just that much holier and that much more close to him in my walk with him. I, that doesn't happen. It takes an effort. If we're drifting, we're always going backwards. Satan wants you to drift. He wants you to get lackadaisical. He, he wants you to coast. And it's tough. 
It's tough trying to do the right thing when it's easy to do the wrong thing. It's tough whenever, you know, you're the only person in the office that walks away when the, when the dirty jokes start. That can be embarrassing. Well, why, why are they walking away? It's tough whenever, you know what, you're the only one in the office that wants to maintain a work ethic and people want you to do things and skirt around things and take shortcuts and, and all the buddies or all the gals are doing it. And you have to make the decision to do the right thing. And you feel that check. God's saying, my grace will sustain you. Make the right choice here. It's tough. It's exhausting. For all of us, work days can be exhausting. And we don't want to be nice to the person at Walmart <laughs> on the way home. We've got to stop in and get milk. And we didn't want to do that either. You know, we just wanted to go home and relax. But now we have to stop. And now a person at, at Walmart is, is, is kind of irritating us. And we don't want to be nice. God's saying, do the right thing. And then, and then we, we're on, on the road home and some jerk cuts us off. You know, we've got all these fingers. <laughs> you just <laughs> And I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes I want to do some subtracting, you know, and just take some of them away. And <laughs> you got a very real pastor, can I tell you that? Yeah. I'm saying it because we're all thinking it. Some of you get tinted windows just so you can, and, and nobody can see you. I know why you do it. You can't fool me. And then we get home, and we don't feel like being nice to the family. We want them to be nice to us, right? It's our turn. We need some pouring into. I don't want to be nice. I want to be grouchy, and I want you to kind of fill, fill me up. And, and, and God's saying, when you're tired and when you're weary in life, I will give you the grace that you need to have the right mindset, and I will sustain you. But you've got to reach out for me. You've got to look for me. You've got to know I'm there, and I'll give you the power to make the right choice. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this in verse 21 and 22, it is God who gives us the ability to stand firm for him. He has commissioned us, called us out, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I want you to think about, what, I want you to think about two, two phrases there in, in those verses, the ability to stand and the Holy Spirit. It, we have this ability to stand because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to do the right thing because of, not because I'm so good or because I have a great track record or because I have all the willpower. We have the ability to stand because of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you wouldn't go to McDonald's and ask for a Whopper. That'd be stupid. You, you don't go to yourself and ask for the power to do something and something as eternal as doing the right thing through Christ Jesus. You go through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. You have the ability to stand when we understand God's grace through the ability of the Holy Spirit. You want to find the key to doing the right thing and having the energy to be sustained when you're tired and when you're weary in life? The key is trusting the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why some of us are so tired, because we're always trying. We're trying to be good. We're, we're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to live the Christian life. We're trying to obey the Ten Commandments. We're trying to, to be a person of integrity. We're trying to be loving. We're trying to be kind, and we're trying, and we're just tired of trying. Am I identifying with anybody? We're tired. We don't want to do it anymore. It's like, this isn't fun. It's exhausting. It's depleting. Maybe the key is to stop trying and start trusting in Jesus. Maybe the key is to stop trying to be something and just let Jesus be Jesus inside of you and through you, and you just submit to him. And moment to moment, morning to morning, you're just waking up saying, I don't have a clue how I'm going to do this. I don't know. Lord, I'm feeling it right now, but I'm trusting you. I'm just going to dump all this out in your lap, and I'm going to trust you step by step. You're not going to feel it all the time. You're not going to know what to do all the time, but you can trust in Jesus when you're tired and weary and know that he will sustain you because he said he would. 
The Bible's filled with examples. Uh, Noah, remember him? Noah built the... Okay, just making sure we're all on the same page. Took him 75 years, some people say, some experts, roughly. 75 years to complete the ark. Man, we don't want to wait 75 minutes for anything, do we? I mean, what? I mean, he's got people that are leaving him, abandoning him, making fun of him. There's no rain, and he's still building this thing. Man, about day 30, I'd be going, all right, <laughs> send a cloud or something, like sprinkle a little bit. Let people know that, hey, it can actually do what you told me that it would do. 75 years, this guy is continuing to do this. How in the world did he sustain that? How did, where did he get the strength to do it? Don't you think he got tired? The Bible says this, short, short little verse in Genesis 6. It says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> it, was, it was grace that sustained him, and he found it in and through God. That's what sustained him. And, you know, he was able to keep going when he got tired and weary because of God's sustaining grace. He can do the same thing for you. And whatever it is you're going through in life, maybe you haven't waited 75 years for something. I got to admit, sometimes waiting an hour can seem hard. God knows. He understands. Some of you have been waiting for days and weeks, months, some of you years for things. God still knows. He still cares. And he can still sustain you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, that God is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Are those just words on a page? Or, or do we really believe that no matter how long we have to wait or how tired we get, that God is still working in us and he is giving us the power to achieve what he purposed in our lives? It is, it's true. We start to realize real fast that Christianity is not a matter of willpower, but of God power. It's not a matter of you know, us trying to do it ourselves, but it's a matter of trusting in God and knowing that he's never going to ask us to do anything that he's not going to give us the capability and the strength to be able to accomplish in him. Who has more power, you or God? Okay, we should not have to think that hard about that question. Who has more power, you or God? So do you think God can give you the strength of what you need? Quick, quick little illustration here. Think about this. God made the sun. He invented it in his mind and spoke it into being. Our sun produces more power every second than the human race has used in history. Let that sink in. That's how much energy the sun can produce. It's got enough energy to maintain for 30 billion more years. So when God says, I'll give you the energy and the strength to do what you need to do in your short lifespan here on earth, he means it. He <laughs> He has what it takes. His grace will keep you standing when you're tired. Something else his grace does, third thing, it helps me keep standing when I'm troubled. You face trouble in life? Jesus said this. He said, you can be sure you'll face trouble in life. He said, so don't think it's crazy when you face, when you face trouble. Don't be surprised. And the fact is we face all kinds of troubles. We face troubles that just completely blow us off course, and we try to fight, but all we can do is hold on for dear life. Uh, we, we face troubles that weigh us down, and we walk around, and sometimes we get a little depressed, and it just kills our joy. Uh, sometimes we face troubles. It's like someone pulled the rug out from under us, and we don't even have a clue where it came from, and we're sitting there totally surprised by it. But he says none of these troubles have to leave you beat down and pressed down. He says, my grace will sustain you even, even in that. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 says this, so don't worry because I'm with you. That's a good promise. He says, don't be afraid because I am your God. I will make you strong and I will help you. I will support you with my right hand that saves you. Isn't that amazing? 
And you may be thinking about towards the beginning of the message today when you said, I thought it was the left hand that holds me up. Listen, when God chooses to sustain you, he can use whatever hand he wants. I'm like, you know, God, you said you were going to use your left hand. What's all this right hand business? You know, I don't think it really matters, do you? I, I, love, I love the verse in Deuteronomy 33:27, where it says that the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. When he chooses to sustain you, he can use both. And I'm glad that he does. Do you believe that? We just need to trust his grace. We need to trust the fact that when we're in trouble, that God will sustain us. And I think we, we live in a culture where we celebrate self-reliance, that when we're in trouble, we have to try to figure it out ourselves, or we ha have to do something in our own strength. We think we can handle it. And it only takes one situation that completely turns us upside down, then we realize that we don't have control over the events of our lives. We, we don't have control over the trouble that comes into our lives. I mean, think about it. You didn't control something as simple as where you were born. You can't control who your parents were. You can't control what color your eyes are unless you get those weird contacts, but even those have to come out, right? You know, you, you can't control things like genetics. You can't control all that, but you know what you can control? You can control who you go to for strength in times of trouble. And God says, when you come to me, I will sustain you with my grace. I will. Psalm 46 and 1 says that God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Isn't that amazing that God, all-powerful, stands at the ready to help you when you're in trouble? I mean, everyone's had someone in their life, maybe it's a parent, grandparent, or somebody close that says, I'm always here for you. And you know it to be true. Think about the God of the universe who made that son that we just talked about. And he stands at the ready, always ready to help you whenever you're in trouble. It's God's grace that blesses us, that sustains us, and it gives us joy, it gives us peace, it gives us all those feelings that we have. But it's also God's grace that's keeping us going and sustaining us whenever we don't feel any of that. It's that hand that's holding us up when we don't feel that right hand caressing our face with the, all the things that we can feel and see. God's still holding us up. He's still sustaining us. When we're tempted, and when we're tired, and when we're weary, and when we're facing trouble in life, we need only look to His sustaining grace. So now that we know what His grace does, and we know that it's there, how do I get it, right? That's what we want to know. How do I get this, this grace? Well, we can start by calling out for God's help. You, you got to call for him. You, you got to say, God, I, I need you. And when you call for God's help, you don't come to him with three of your best ideas and say, you know, you choose one of these, and with my plan and your power, we're going places, right? No, we say, God, I am out. I'm empty. I'm coming to you, and I'm lowering myself, and I want you to be exalted in this. You lead me. I want you to do it. So we humble ourselves. And I love James chapter 4 when it says, when we draw near to God like this, he draws near to us. He doesn't hide himself from those who are seeking him. He says, when you draw near to me, I'm going I'm to draw near to you. Call out to God for help. Second, fill your mind with God's word. Now, when I said that right then, you're like, you're talking about reading my Bible? Yes, I'm talking about reading your Bible. We got to fill our minds with it. It's probably the most important thing that you can do. And that sounds real churchy sometimes to, to those of us maybe who, who didn't either grow up in church or we have a really hard time understanding our Bible. It just seems like this weird ancient book that, that God uses to confuse us sometimes, but we know we're supposed to read it. L listen, it, it is the most important thing you can do because it is truth. It's the way that we begin to understand God's character and his integrity. And when we read it and we hear the stories, and we, yes, sometimes it takes getting some context so we can kind of understand all, how it all fits, but it's doable. There's lots of help out there today. 
And we begin to understand that God, if, if he did it for them, then he can do it for me. His character never changes. It's always going to be the same. The, the word says yesterday, today, and forever. We, we sang the song, the God who was and is and is to come. He doesn't change. And so we, we've got to put his truth, his word into us so that when we face these, these troubles and these temptations, we're able to combat it with truth. You know, that's really all Satan wants to do is lie to you. He knows that if he can blind you from what God says, from the truth, then he can, he can take you out. And so how do we combat a lie? Well, we do it with truth. And the truth is in God's word. I love the writer of Psalm 119 when he says, when I was completely discouraged, when I was down in the dust, your word was the thing that revived me. And it can do the same for us as he sustains us. We, we let his word comfort us. We let his word remind us again and again of who he is. It, it changes. I mean, maybe you need to get a, um, a modern day translation because it, it really changes the way that, that we, we view life whenever we can read God's word. Get a, get a modern translation. I don't care. I don't care if you, you read the King James Version. Some people get stuck on that kind of thing. You know what? Get his word inside of you. Just start reading it. Well, I don't understand it. Well, just keep, keep going. Keep reading. It, it's his word that counteracts those, those lies that are floating around in our society. Um, you remember Star Wars? Remember the great theologian Obi-Wan Kenobi? He wasn't really a theologian. I'm just kidding. But what, what he said was, is he said, use what's inside of you, Luke. Look inside of you, Luke. I've got a Luke sitting on the front row raising his eyebrows at me right now. He says, use what's inside of you. And the fact is, is that what's inside of us, that's what we draw from to make decisions in life. And so you better make sure that you're filling yourself with the word, filling yourself with supreme truth, because that's what you're going to draw from. When those lies come around you, you will draw from what you're filled up with. Um, pick your sources carefully. Did you hear the sad news about the Psychic Friends Network years ago? The lawyer said they made some bad decisions due to unforeseen circumstances. Let that sink in a minute. Still waiting for everyone to grab that. <laughs> you need to get your advice from somebody who sees it coming. <laughs> and that's God's word. That's God. He, under he understands. He knows. So call out to him for help. Fill your mind with his word. Thirdly, accept support from God's people. That one probably seems a little bit kind of weird for all of us, maybe a little bit scary, because one, we don't really know how to do, go about doing that, and two, we don't know what people are going to think about us, and, and, and we're a little scared, we kind of get freaked out. But the New Testament in, in Galatians is this letter that Paul's writing to the church there in Galatia, and he's actually talking to us too today, and he says by helping each other out with troubles, he says that's how you fulfill the Word of God. That's how you fulfill the law of Jesus Christ completely, by helping each other out. And I, I love that because there's no such thing as a lone ranger in, in our walks with God. There's no such thing as, a, as an undercover agent in God's kingdom. Those are fun cliches to say, but the point is, is that God never meant for us to walk this life alone. He died for two relationships. He died for yours and his, and he died for mine and yours and for each other's. Ours and his, which is the vertical part of that, and then me and yours, which is the horizontal part. Funny enough, it makes a cross. Just something fun to think about. But that's what God died for, relationships, primarily yours and his. And then there's that second one that we really need to think about. It's each other. We're supposed to be walking with each other and helping each other. God could do all kinds of things, but he chooses people to work through to help each other. I don't know what I would do if it hadn't been for the people in my life that surrounded me and helped me and lifted me up during the times of, of trouble. Are they God's sins? Absolutely. 
That's God's grace sustaining me. Sometimes it comes through the form of people. And, and that's what we're supposed to do in life. Uh, you heard Cassie talk earlier about bridge groups. That's a, that's a main player in, in our church. It's going to be like the second arm of our church, our bridge groups. Uh, we're starting them this fall. So be looking out for them. We're going to be promoting them in September. Um, what's the purpose of bridge groups? It is to have uh, meaningful relationships outside of this building. Look, let's just be honest. You, you don't get to know people by high-fiving each other in the seats on Sunday. It's fun. We celebrate together here. We're supposed to. We, we do a big thing here on Sunday mornings to lift God up together. And our goal is, is for you to do that on Sundays, and then during the week, you have a time together with, with your bridge group, roughly around 12 to 15 people or so, um, so that you can be there for each other, so that you can grow in relationship to each other, with, with, with each other. Our goal right now at the Bridge Goldsboro is to have eight additional groups by the fall. Eight additional groups to accommodate the need for people being in groups. People have interest in groups. Um, and right now, we need leaders for those groups. We need some leaders to say, you know what, I'm interested in what it takes to facilitate one of these groups. Um, we, we don't want to just leave you hanging. We actually have training that we're going to be doing with some potential group leaders on May 16th at the Princeton location at 7 p.m. Um, you can register for that on the website, bridgechurch.cc. Go to the events. We're not asking for a commitment from you. We're just saying, hey, if you're interested in what it takes to facilitate a group, um, we want you to be there. It's an information thing. Um, first night, then there's like five subsequent teachings after that. If you keep coming, if you're interested. And we just, we, we want to make bridge groups a priority here because we understand that what this verse says. That it's, it's not about attending a church service and keeping these seats warm with our, with our butts. Yeah, I said butts. It's funny. Somebody's really laughing down here. You know what it's about? It's about getting outside of these four walls and building relationships with each other outside of this church building. And bridge groups are going to do that. And we need leaders. Maybe you're like, hey, I can't facilitate a bridge group like in leadership, but I have a home that has space and I can be a host. Hey, we can use you. So just let us know that. We're, we're really going to emphasize bridge groups this fall. Um, why? Because we want to be really cool and trendy? No, because we understand what the Word says about being in relationship with each other, and we want to value it. It's how we grow. It's how we're there for each other. Um, you accept support from God's people. That's how we do this. This is one of the main ways that we obey what Jesus said, is to love each other. And we're going to accomplish that through bridge groups. God's grace, I'm, I'm, I'm landing this plane here. I, I, want, I want to talk to you really quickly about what it, what it means to accept God's grace and be sustained by it. I, I think there's this fallacy that we've all kind of um, latched onto, and that is if we, we have God's grace in our lives, then the pain goes away of the trouble that we're facing. Can I just go ahead and tell you that's not the case? I'd love to be able to say that when you have God's grace sustaining you in your life, you, you don't feel the pain, the pain is lessened somehow. But let me tell you what happens. You have pain in your life, and when you have God's grace sustaining you, it's like he comes up beside that pain, and he walks with you with that pain. He, he walks with you and shows you how to deal with it. He shows you how to grow in it. And by the time you get to the other side of it, you're actually able to look back, and you're actually able to say, I, I actually learned something during that. I went through a, a really bad divorce a couple of years ago, and um, I don't think there was a moment during the, the heat of all that where I just, I just said, you know what, the pain is just gone, <laughs> you know? I was crying out to God every day, but I don't think there was one moment during that where the pain just left me somehow. 
In fact, a lot of times it was all I could do just to believe that God was there. But I think where I understood looking back where his sustaining grace was there, it was these moments that I would sit down and I would think about what had happened the last 30 days or the last, you know, six months. And I would go, I'm still here. <laughs> like I, I'm surviving this. Like I'm actually surviving this. If you had told me what I would have had to have gone through at the very beginning, I would have said, I can't survive that. And some of you are facing trials right now or have faced trials where you're thinking, if somebody had told me what I would have to endure, I wouldn't have told you that I could have, I could have survived it. Matter of fact, I probably would have just said, let me go ahead and end my life now because that's undoable. God's grace wasn't about the pain just magically going away while some heavenly aura just came over me. It, it was these moments where I said, the only way I survived that was because of something else bringing me through because I don't have the capability inside of me to go through that and actually survive it. I don't have it. And not only that, but looking back where I stand now, I'm like, gosh, I actually learned something through that. I'm a better person now than I was before I started going through it. How can God take something that ugly and, and get me to the other side and I'm actually better for it? It's not about taking the pain away. It's about getting to the other side of it and going, I am stronger now having been through that than I was when I started and I absolutely had nothing to do with it. <laughs> that is the sustaining power of God's grace. When you've done everything you can do to stand and you just reach out to him and you have these moments during it where you're going, I'm still here. I don't know how I'm still here, but I'm still here. Uh, and, and, and you go another week, another day, and you, you've hit rock bottom and then that falls away and you, you go down deeper and, and you're like, I don't know how it can get any worse. And then it does. And then some time goes by and you're like, I'm still here. I survived that. I don't know how I did it. And somehow I'm able to help somebody else. I'm having conversations with these, with these people uh, literally during the middle of the pain of it. And I'm actually finding myself in my heart saying something that helps them because of what I've been through. I'm like, only God can sustain somebody in such a way that not only do you survive it, but you actually become a better person and you're able to pour out in other people's lives. And when you've done everything you can do to stand, God's allowing you to keep standing. And you look back and you say, wow, I, I can't believe I'm still here. It's not about pain or no pain. It's about being here and allowing God to help you through. And you stand. That's the sustaining power of God's grace. And, and, and maybe you're here today and, and, and you're saying, I need some of that. Let me ask you a question. Have you given your life to him? Because that's really the first step. You want to accept his grace and you got to accept him. You ever been at a birthday party when, when the little kid grabs the present from the person that gave it to him and they just like rip open the card, don't even read it and grab the money and throw everything away? And you're like, hey, read the card, you know? <laughs> you want to like, say thank you, you know? We don't want to, ex you can't accept the gift without accepting the giver. And so if you want to accept God's grace, if you want to receive God's grace, then you accept the one that's actually doing the giving. And maybe that's your first step today. You say, I, I, I need to accept Jesus. I need to accept the one that gives me the grace. And, and maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, the, the struggles that I face, the temptations that I face, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I, I got this coming up. I don't know how I'm going to get through that. Or maybe you keep, this is reoccurring struggle that keeps coming up and you, I, I don't know how I'm ever going to let go of that. There's a verse I want to end with. It's in Philippians chapter one, verse six. And this is what he says to you and I today. He says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished. 
It's something that he's continually doing inside of you. As long as you're willing to reach out and accept his grace, the pain may still be there, it may still be difficult, but God promises that his grace will sustain you and he will accomplish the work that he set out in the beginning and keep you going. I, I want to pray together. And if, if today you're saying, I, I need to receive God's grace, maybe now's your time to receive Jesus. We're going to have some of our folks from our prayer team come up right now and um, maybe you need prayer. Maybe you're saying, hey, I, I, the trouble that I'm facing right now, I, I just would like someone to pray for me. During this, this time of prayer, um, they're going to be here, available. These are, are two of the most humble people that I know. Um, I know right now their lives aren't perfect, so I, I want you to know they're, they're very transparent, but they're godly people, and they're people that, that, that can pray for you. Um, maybe you're here, and you're, I, I want to receive God's grace for the first time. I'm going to Part of this prayer I'm going to pray is just a prayer that just gives my heart and life to Christ. If you, you can just agree with that and believe in your heart, God hears you. He hears your heart. That's the beautiful thing about God. There's no magic words or magic anything. You just believe in me and confess with your mouth that I'm, I'm Lord. He'll come right into your life right where you're at. Can we stand together? Anytime during this prayer, you can, you can come up. Let's pray. God, we're honored that you would allow us to come before you and, and to talk to you like this. None of us are worthy. No, we're all human. We've all failed. None of us are, are perfect by any means. So how could we even stand to come before a perfect God? Oh, but the grace of Jesus Christ, that you saw us and you saw fitting for you to die for us, to make a sacrifice of your own son so that we could in turn be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we could be looked at as worthy to come into your presence and talk like this and know that you hear and know that you long to, to work in our lives and to answer us. We, we just start by saying, thank you for that. <laughs> we, we don't come into your presence not understanding who we are and who you are. Lord, all over this room, there's different backgrounds. There's different walks of life. There's different family dynamics, all kinds of different things. Lord, all kinds of different temptations, all kinds of different struggles, all kinds of different levels of energy, Lord, and all kinds of different trouble. Lord, help us to understand right now that it's your grace that you offer us that sustains us. It's, it's not some supernatural pain reliever. <laughs> it's just your grace. And sometimes we feel that very, very real, and sometimes we don't feel it at all, and we're unaware that it's even there. But I pray today as we walk out of this room that there'll be a belief in our hearts that we can latch onto and say, God, I don't know how you're doing it, but I know you're sustaining me. Lord, I, it, it's not something I can pray into everyone's life. I, it's, it's us as individuals saying, God, I believe in you and I trust you. I know that you're there. No matter if I feel it or not, I, I know that you're there. I know, what you, I know that you're there. And I pray that that reality, Lord, that 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 prayer, God, would, would just rise up from every heart as we walk out of this room today to know that they have this, this personal link to you, that they can call on you, and you'll be there. Lord, those of us in the room that kind of feel that tug at our hearts because we know that we need to give our lives to you, maybe it, they've never done it, or maybe it's been such a long time, and, and maybe my life has been kind of wrecked since I gave my life to you way back when. Either or, God, right now we stand before you knowing we need you. We, we don't just want to try to take something as awesome and, and, and intimate as your grace without receiving the one that gives it. And so right now, we just say we believe in you, Jesus.
We believe that you really died for us. We believe that you really came to this earth as a man and you died for our sin. You really died. You really rose from the grave. You spilled precious blood for us, perfect blood. You made the sacrifice that we couldn't make. And we accept that. We accept you. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we have all the answers. It just means that we are a fallen bunch of human beings that need something besides us. And we look to you as being that perfect, that perfect God that cares for us, that perfect being that made the sacrifice for us and the perfect one that makes us worthy of you. So help us every day, God. We, we just want to get up and aim our hearts at you and trust you to fill in the gaps in our life. And we pray all that in the name of Jesus.